Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Bothwell from Waste 360, and I'm here with Rick Namayas, founder and CEO of Food Forward. And Food Forward started as a grassroots volunteer organization, and it's made massive strides in food recovery in the last 12 years. Hi, Rick, and thanks for being on the show today. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Rick, please tell me a little bit about your background and how you found your way to Food Forward. Sure. It was a complete accident. <laughs> I had been a photographer doing documentary work, uh, particularly in the niche of um, bringing the stories of marginalized communities out to the general public. Uh, That included everyone from farm workers to aging Holocaust survivors to folks on the margins in spiritual communities. And I also did a lot of work with sustainable ag, doing annual reports and things in between these larger projects. And food became kind of a common denominator for me in the area of art and politics and where I found my passions really surging in, um, you know, the early 2000s. And um, when the Great Recession hit in uh, 2008, 2009, I was really um, coming off of some volunteer work that I did with the Obama campaign, um, as, you know, just a straight ahead volunteer in my community as well as a Prop 8 campaign, which is around marriage equality in California. And I kind of had this bit of kind of, uh, let's call it volunteer whiplash, where I saw the president that I had worked for get elected, which was an amazing, historic, and inspiring moment. And then I turned around and saw my own marriage nullified by, um, you know, some pretty um, nasty politics and some misinformation. And I felt really kind of done and I felt the need to do something very, very local and something healing and um, kind of turn the other cheek in a way that could bring some good. And at the same time, um, you know, living in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, uh, which is really an entire, you know, collection of subdivisions that used to be commercial orchards, I was surrounded by these aging walnut and citrus trees that would drop their fruit and nuts every year and for the most part have nobody to collect it. And so it became kind of actually an eyesore. And as I walked with my dog, as she got older and started really noticing, this is not just like fruit, this is really good fruit. This is stuff that that is worthy of sale. This is worthy of consumption. And starting to see lines actually grow at local food pantries, I kind of put the two and two together and put an ad on Craigslist, if you remember what that was. Got some volunteers and tried out the idea of collecting um, backyard fruit and dropping it at a food pantry. I did it once with a, a person who I hadn't known just a few hours earlier. We, you know, did about 85 pounds of tangerines, which for us was like, whoa, that was amazing. And we're like, we'll meet back here again next weekend and do it again and do it again. And in those three weeks between the tangerines and the oranges, it was about 800 pounds of fresh um, fruit which would not have made its way anywhere but to the trash. So there was this mitigation of waste as well as feeding local folks who are food insecure, uh, really quality produce that is very hard to come by for most um, food pantries or food banks. 
And from there, the idea really just spiraled. We kind of found this tribe of volunteers that were incredibly passionate, that we had a lot of fun with, and we kind of formed the second family. And within a few months, we're like, this idea is bigger than we are. We need to put a name on it. We need to get a website and get going. And then they're like, well, we need a leader. And everyone kind of pointed at me. And I was, I was ready after about 10 years or so of doing the photography work to take a break. I wasn't ready to hang it up yet, but I was really feeling um, there was a big shift in the uh, photography business around then as digital cameras came in on our phones where everyone kind of felt like they were a photographer and it kind of um, shifted the whole value proposition around what you shot and who would publish it and what they would be able or were willing to pay you for it. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take a little bit of break. I'm gonna put you know, 10, 20 hours a week into this and, and just let it, let it grow and, and you know, get back into photography in a few months. Well, little did I know 12 years later, uh, 200 and some odd million pounds of fresh produce and a, and a nonprofit with uh, probably about 35 employees, 38 employees now. And on a good year, about 4,000 volunteers, uh, the Food Forward would grow into the, um, the organization that it's become. Um, it's been a, an amazing journey personally and professionally. It's been amazingly humbling to be able to lead the organization and also lead it through COVID, which has been a, a real watershed um, time for us, which we can talk about. But it was really galvanizing staff, volunteers, board, advisors, a whole community that gathered around this concept, which um, has been so amazing. It's very people-focused. And although we're kind of a B2B model in the sense that food forward uh, gathers surplus produce that would go to waste and gets it to agencies that take it the last mile, we're still talking about feeding food insecure communities and the people that are um, uh, in those communities and how do we do it, how do we reach them. So there is a very people-focused element to this organization that was at its founding but also still exists today. And it, it's really what drives me every day to keep doing the work. Well, I, I love that, and it's so obvious that it's people-focused in everything that you do, and um, I would love to hear what inspired your passion for really your eye toward environmental justice and actually humanizing marginalized communities like you have, even when you were doing your, your photography, because I think that is a gift, and you've really put that into place, and, and now you're running with it in a big way. Well, um, well, thank you, first of all. Um, I was really lucky in college to get exposed to the work of Edward R. Murrow, who's kind of the godfather of broadcast journalism. And as I dug deeper into his life in my 20s and 30s, just reading biographies and working actually on a writing project about him, I started to, you know, I got, I got in, involved looking at a lot of his work. And one of those things he did in uh, 1965 was a seminal documentary called Harvest of Shame which was about migrant farm workers at the time. And it was a very um, controversial piece because it really pulled no punches. It really showed this huge division between us and them. And it really looked at um, the real work violations and all the issues that, that migrant farm workers um, face. And I was very interested in wondering where were those people today? I, in 2000, 2002, three, you know, what, who, who is harvesting our food and what are they facing in the way of those challenges? And I decided to take a camera and a whole bunch of film and get out in the fields and visited about 50 farms and had a bunch of amazingly generous 
guides along the way, whether they were translators or community organizers or folks that were in the food farm worker community kind of make introductions for me and help build trust. And what I did is created something called the, the Migrant Project. It's a book um, still actually available on Amazon and uh, it's a, a traveling exhibition which has been to about 30 different museums across the country that really tries to show the human cost of feeding America through the eyes and the stories of migrant farm workers in California. And California, is, some people may or may not know, is responsible for providing upwards at times more than 50% of the produce that our entire continent consumes. So a lot happens in the state. A lot of stuff that we wish was better happens in the state. But I felt that there was a way to look in the eyes of these people who work tirelessly for incredibly low wages and have a lot of struggles that many of us never even know of, let alone face ourselves, maybe people would, A, appreciate the food more that they get, and that they would appreciate the people, more importantly, who are out in the fields doing this incredibly um, important and at times very dangerous work. Um, and through that, um, I really found food to be an amazing unifier, you know, and also came to really understand what it takes to grow, harvest, pack, ship, Food. And so when I started seeing food waste a few years later as an issue and started really understanding that we as a nation have a pretty shameful problem of 40% of our food going to waste, um, that, you know, doing a small action like harvesting a backyard and getting that really nutritious food to a pantry that would otherwise either go without it or have to pay for that food there was a real number of wins here. In the early days of Food Forward, we didn't say, we used to say it's not a win-win, but it's a win to the fourth. You know, homeowners had their trees harvested. Volunteers got this really unique experience that to see uh, change happen within a few hours due to their own hand. Um, the environment was, was healthier for it because the food wasn't rotting. But most importantly, people who were food insecure were getting healthy, free, nutritious produce that they most likely would not get otherwise. And um, I have to say that was kind of the start of it. It was, it was really about um, kind of tapping the right idea at the right time. And we've got a lot of tailwinds behind us. Um, there's no question the organization would not be where it was without, you know, the early volunteers uh, that Several are still with us. I saw one yesterday that just, you know, cannot wait to get back out in the trees as citrus season comes in. And um, people like our board members who also sometimes folks forget are volunteers. And, and then these different generations of staff, some who were in there with their leaves rolled up creating software for us in the early days, those who, who have iterated our programs and, and kind of gotten them to the point where we actually um, you know, replicate them almost like open source for organizations that come at us for information. Um, but just people that were really interested in kind of, uh, in most cases, flipping out of the for-profit space and into the nonprofit space to work with an organization that was all about innovation and sharing abundance, which there is a huge amount of in this country. Oh, there really is. And I know you've said before that you think that having good nutritious food is, is a basic human right. And I think a lot of people agree with you. Do you think there's anything we can do collectively to actually make that happen in our lifetime? Well, it's, it's interesting because this last year we've actually been working with um, 
someone to do a white paper on uh, Food Forward's work and, and understand the concept of health equity. And, you know, we all went through COVID and are coming out with this new normal, um, you know, and a new understanding of our own health, our community's health, and, and vulnerabilities. And one of the things that um, those of us at Food Forward really were struck by was the health disparity. We knew about it before, but it became even more apparent and more um, galling, I'll say, when you understand that there are Native American reservations without access to fresh water, that there are farm worker communities, these people who are toiling six, seven days a week to get us our food, who cannot afford the produce that they themselves are putting their hands on for us. Um, we knew some of this before, but kind of COVID laid it out there on a whole new level. And so what we've been doing is trying to connect the dots for people and for funders and donors that are excited about our work, not just from a fighting hunger or environmental lens, but a health equity lens. And so that they can understand that by us providing a total plant-based diet, we do nothing but fresh produce. Um, to these communities completely free of charge, that we're helping move the needle for them around issues of obesity, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, um, because they are now getting a regular, um, you know, fresh diet that they might have instead of, you know, gone to Jack in the Box for a 99 cent meal for in the past. And so I think getting people to understand that this work that we're doing particularly rather than just being a regular food bank that might give you 20, 25% of your diet and produce, we're all produce. And our footprint now is regional. It's no longer just LA, LA County and Ventura, but we're in eight counties of California. We moved to the seven um, states that are adjacent to us. And we've gotten some funding to do additional work in rural and isolated communities. And so we've been piloting getting more and more produce out to regions of, um, you know, very, very isolated areas such as the Coachella Valley, uh, the Central Valley of California, and even uh, native lands in Arizona and Mexico and as far away as uh, Oklahoma. That's amazing. And I want to switch gears. I want to switch gears a little bit because you've been lauded for your business model. Can you talk about that a little bit and why it's so successful? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, Liz, when, when we started this, you know, a lot of people really pushed us to create a uh, an earned income model where there was money earned from what we do to, to fuel the organization. And I understood the logic in that for certain organizations, but what we get, we get for free. That's kind of a, like a starting point. I'm sitting here in a warehouse right now looking at, at seven, eight-foot pallets, hundreds of them, that have been donated by small donors, farmers, major corporations, but they have donated this really wonderful produce to us free of charge. And my feeling is if we can raise the money to pay my salary, our drivers, our warehouse folks, our programmers, and so on and so forth, we should be giving it for free. And I think there's a really strong um, anchor in Food Forward's value around sharing and gifting and not making a, a, a dime off this, <clears throat> but making it something that is a, um, a model where we can very um, proudly say, we're passing this along, thus the name Food Forward. You know, yes, there are times where we have to tweak the model and there's different um, relationships, but 
I'd say, you know, for, for the vast, vast majority of what we do, we get it for free and we give it for free. It doesn't mean we can drive, you know, um, all the produce all over the, the state without any cost. There are times where we have to do, you know, cost sharing with our partners. But the bottom line is they're paying for transportation or they're paying for overhead. They're not paying for the food itself. And I feel like in this day and age, especially coming out of the crazy years we've just come through, even reaching back beyond COVID, that we as a civilization need to open our minds a little more. What do we do for our neighbors and our our communities that we may not know the names of, we may not know the faces of, but we're all in this together. And whether you're looking at things around climate change or you're looking around something of basic need as, as food and water, we create, we grow so much more than we need to sustain our population. It's a distribution issue. It's not a supply issue. So Food Forward has always come in as a logistics model of philanthropy in a sense. And as long as we can pay our bills as a nonprofit, uh, you know, this uh, coming year, we got a big lift. We're going to be, um, you know, our, our, our uh, what do you call it? Our uh, budget will be moving up into the five, five and a half million dollar range, which is no small amount of money to raise. But as long as we have donors, foundations, corporations that understand the wins that Food Forward brings, and gets behind us either with sponsorships or grants or anonymous donations or any uh, 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 number of partnerships, we can keep doing this. Um, we moved during COVID from a 25 million pound um, organization to what will be close to 65 million pounds at the end of this year, which is extraordinary to me. That's a, like two and a half times growth. And we did it oddly through the social imperative of watching all of our food chains buckle and a number of growers looking for an outlet for their product. You know, whether you're a small farmer or you're a massive corporation, you know, growing hundreds or thousands of acres, nobody wants to see their food go to waste. No one wants to plow it under. And so we offer a really strong value proposition and give people a really professionalized opportunity to, to make those connections and feel a sense of being part of the solution. And that's, that's one of the things I really feel blessed with. You know, I didn't, I, 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 you know, I've been the founder or CEO for, from the beginning, but the simple equation of what food, food Forward does was a gift. You know, it just kind of fell from, fell from a tree and hit me on the head, so to speak. So I can't take credit for that. And it's been a team that's really built and grown this entire enterprise. But it wouldn't be going anywhere without the donors uh, who are you know, sending us these amazing bags of apples, these bananas, these this kale, some of the exotic stuff we move. It's an ecosystem. And quite honestly, above that, it's really a mindset of generosity. And um, in, a, I think, a time when many of us are very uh, encouraged to look at the me in the equation, this is really about the us in the equation. And I think that's a, a huge part of it. And if you could talk a little bit about that ecosystem and those partnerships, how do you keep such active, mutually beneficial relationships going the way you are? Well, I think part of it was when I got into this, I got into it again, kind of sideways. I wasn't a nonprofit person. I didn't come out of business administration. And I said to myself, if I'm going to do this even part time, I want to be part of a family that I would be proud of being with and working for. And that meant it had to be professional. It meant it had to be accountable. 
So every time we created a program, it wasn't let's just, you know, find the cheapest way to do it and the crappiest boxes. Let's actually do something and build ourselves like a for-profit organization. Uh, we are like, for example, early on, we forged a relationship with a major paper company that had fruit trees on their campus. And in trade for or, uh, harvesting those trees every year and donating that fruit, they have been extraordinarily generous in creating kind of a branded box. Uh, which I'll make sure we get you a photo of. It's, those boxes have become like our Andy Warhol, you know, Campbell's, Campbell soup can. They become our calling card, whether we're at a farmer's market glean uh, with volunteers or we're out at someone's home. Those boxes are where the fruit goes in, and it's helped kind of build a brand. And I, you know, I did come to the organization with an understanding of communications and aesthetic and, and visuals and branding. And I, I you know, it was, it was definitely not formal training, but from a, my photography work, I, I understood the value of it. And so as we built out the kind of uh, logistics model, there was always a, a skin to this that hopefully made it fun, colorful, a little bit irreverent, and um, hopefully never took itself too seriously. Um, and that when we were, we were coming at this, we were coming at it from not a glass is half empty or half, glass is half full, but a glass is overflowing because living in this state, living in California, um, Los Angeles in particular, where there are an estimated over 1 million fruit trees just on residences alone, the abundance available for us to feed our neighbors uh, healthy food was just ridiculous. It's like, how can you not do it? And what's been really exciting is even, you know, we get an intern 12 years after we started, we get a board member, you know, this past summer, when they get into this and they get it, their hands on the fruit themselves, it's an entirely different experience uh, than the academic of working for a nonprofit. There is a tangibility to Food Forward's work and a simplicity again that if we stay out of our own ways and we don't get too caught up in the logistics or the technology, you are moving abundance to a place of need, a very, very simple act. And it's an act that's biblical and it resonates for people, whether you're of faith or not. But, you know, you go back to the Bible and the idea of gleaning is something that was in the book of Ruth. And so it resonates for folks of all faiths. And I think it hits a spot where people feel again that in a few hours of work, whether they're a board member a staff member or a volunteer that they can actually see the change they themselves are making, which is a rare gift in, uh, in, in work. Often it takes months or years if you do get to see the change that you're working towards in nonprofit. Oh, for sure. I, I, you hit the nail on the head there and you had such a, an eloquent yet simple way of stating it. And that's probably part of, of your success as well. Well, thank you. I think part of it is really getting out of the way of a really simple idea. And I think we have board members, you know, thankfully, who've been with us from the beginning. Um, and we sometimes have to look at each other when we're looking at a $5 million budget and we're like, how is this? This is getting too complex here. How do we bring it back to the basics? How do we make sure that we're not getting off track with something? You know, something in, in nonprofit that's really endemic and, and challenging is something called mission drift. And, you know, we've had a number of people, this happened during the pandemic, and we did pivot a little bit, uh, want us to do things that went beyond fruits and vegetables. And because it was an emergency, it was a national crisis, we had the machinery, we had the logistics channels, and, and I, we felt an imperative to help at that point. 
But as soon as we saw um, things start to settle down a little bit, we stepped away from any dairy, we stepped away from any proteins. There's plenty of organizations that do that and do it well and actually do it better than we do. And so we were there as a backup, but we feel like our, like, uh, you know, our team of drivers are not just drivers, but they come out of decades of background at the wholesale terminal and in the produce um, industry. And so we hire them knowing they're going to bring an ambassadorship, a sense of safety, but also a deep knowledge of 15 types of peppers that many of us would never know what to do with and how to find out if they're fresh enough and how long they're going to last. And so there's, um, there's simplicity to what we do, but there's also a complexity and sophistication. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the, the secret sauce is knowing when to hit the gas on one and when to hit the brakes on the other. Um, you know, the other pieces that I'd say in our business model that's rather unique, it's not, it's not exclusive to us, but I think it's unique in our region, is this high impact, volume that we move. I mean, we moved three times as much produce last year than the closest um, local food bank in an urban area. It was a massive amount. So there was high impact there for reaching millions of people. But at the same time, the other part of the secret sauce is the high civic engagement. On a good year when we're not locked down, we will have four to 5,000 unique volunteers come through the organization. And I'm really happy to say that that volunteer uh, engine is starting to rev up again. We're finally finding safe ways, reliable ways to engage the volunteers that are coming to us. We do corporate events as well, which earn us some money. But mostly we deal with, the, the you know, a, a semi-retired individual or a mom and a daughter who want to get out on a Sunday and do something together that feels good and, and, and benefits other people. And so those thousands of volunteers have a deep experience for two or three hours, and that paired with the high impact of the wholesale program um, is a really wonderful kind of um, bifurcation. If we were just one or just the other, we would not be food forward. Oh, I bet. That makes absolute sense. And then I wanted to talk about policy a little bit. I see that you're on the LA Food Policy Council. What kind of... What kind of work are you doing there? Um, well, I'm on the leadership circle, so it's like one degree away from, um, what do you call it, from the board itself. And so we often advise the council on, you know, um, whether they should have a fiscal sponsor or be a nonprofit, you know, uh, certain initiatives or grants that they're looking at going after. But the, the Food Policy Council was the first one in the United States, to my knowledge, and it became a model for food policies that have replicated all over the country. Uh, Paula Daniels was the founder, and she still remains involved. And it's um, a really congenial group of people at a leadership level coming from all sectors, rural, urban, um, farming, um, processed foods, wholesale, school feeding, all kinds of areas who really are trying to um, take what's been a very complex food system in in Southern California and make it better. And um, there's working groups as well, which really embrace the um, layperson's passion. So if you're into school food or you're into food waste or you're into, you know, bringing corner stores up to a higher level of, of food integrity, you can get involved by just showing up to these meetings. So it, it has um, 
avenues for people to get involved in uh, various ways. And I think its model is, is, is one that's, again, it's really impressive in the sense of how easy it is um, and accessible it is. Um, current initiatives that, uh, you know, I'd say that are, are still front and center for them are these corner store conversions. Um, so that people kind of get out of going to just chain markets and, and patronize smaller businesses and are able to walk away with healthier foods that are either made on premises or made locally. And um, they keep um, kind of getting grants for these conversions where they'll do a cosmetic makeover, but they'll also change the layout of the store in collaboration, of course, with the owners to make them more attractive and um, make them more ergonomic to shoppers and, and highlight fresher, healthier foods along the way and stuff that is from the LA food shed. So it's coming from within 100, 200 miles rather, you know, than, than a package of Oreos, which, you know, no one's telling them to leave that, that stuff behind, but it's not the first thing you see when you walk in the door. Oh, that's great. And then, Rick, speaking of policy, have the latest laws in California around food waste benefited fast forward, food forward? Yeah, I would have to say those were the things that started to move the needle for us in a big way. And we've been fortunate enough to um, receive a few grants from CalRecycle. Um, and as those laws get come into place, we notice more donors coming to the table. We notice more funders um, making the connection with greenhouse gases and food waste and wanting to um, get behind that from a financial perspective. But these laws are really the carrot and the stick. When those happen and there's fines that hit these corporations in the pocketbook, those are really the things that make them listen more than anything else, to be really honest. It's not a plea from the governor. It's not this wanting to do good type of um, you know, so corporate social responsibility things, which can often wither when budgets uh, or profits start to fall. But the bottom line is, if they're going to be charged for organic waste in a way that is way more than they had just uh, a few weeks or a few months earlier, they're going to wake up and find a way to mitigate that waste and hopefully in the process understand the um, value proposition that Food Forward brings to the table. You know, when you look at us from an economic engine perspective as a nonprofit, it's a pretty great proposition for this. Um, this last year, 2020, uh, our budget was three and a half million dollars, more or less. And in, in that, we leveraged over a hundred million dollars in social impact. And when you can turn on a company to that, to be part of that equation and to have them offer you produce while it's still viable, knowing that it'll be um, professionally handled and it'll be gotten to the last mile completely for free, there's really very few reasons to resist that. And so we do try to talk to some of these folks who are looking at, um, you know, AB 1383 coming up from the business dollars and cents perspective, rather than the philanthropic warm fuzzy perspective, but we're happy to throw that in too, because some of them, you know, want to look at where the food goes. Some of them work, you know, their, their produce comes from a certain community and they'd love to know that it goes back to people in need in that community. So it's really, um, it's about assessing each business opportunity as it comes along, trying to find what language they speak um, and, and speak to it with authenticity and with um, you know, accountability. For sure. And I know we talked a little bit about COVID and how it has affected 
your work, and I know you mentioned that it it doubled you, the sheer volume. What else did did COVID teach you, and and what is still happening around COVID and food insecurity in in the work that you're doing? Well, we saw numbers spike in Los Angeles County from one in nine people being food insecure pre-COVID to one in four. That's extraordinary. And then we saw it dip a little bit to one in five and one in six in the last few months. So it is not, even at one in nine, that's a shameful number. You know, one in four was, without any hyperbole, national crisis. That was really a crisis number. And for us to just dip below that now is very, very disconcerting. And when you look at things like rent um, moratoriums not happening anymore, when you look at still the number of people in the service industry who are losing unemployment and not returning to the, the workforce for whatever reason, we are going to see an additional spike in food insecurity. That's, that's very disconcerting. So we're keeping our finger on the pulse of all this. We know we are part of a system. We are not, you know, we're not the lead dog. We're not a, we're not a big, um, what do you call it, food bank in the sense that we don't have the muscle of, of feeding America, but we see ourselves as collaborators with these folks and we work really well with them. You know, because we're moving such large amounts of produce, we're able to help where they can't. But um, it's about all of us getting together and doing this thing in unison. Um, we're not an advocacy organization and we kind of conscientiously made that choice to stick with programmatic work. But I think we all need to raise our voices when we see and hear policies that denigrate um, folks living in poverty and things where food stamps come into play uh, and they're being shortened or they're being um, curtailed. Uh, we all have, a, as individuals and as, as organizations, um, you know, the, uh, I would say, the imperative to do that. And um, we, you know, we, we're not opposed to like signing on to statements or letters or whatnot, but it is a it is a um, a whole different type of organization that does lobbying and advocacy and and we want to do what we do best and let others do what they do best in that realm but are we're there to support them as best we can good and i know food waste is such a large contributor to climate change and and i know that uh, food Forward offsets that quite a bit. Uh, do you have any solutions for our listeners or anyone else um, in ways that we can all consider offsetting this in some way around food waste? Well, I like to bring it back to the individual because, again, you know, these laws are great, but the bottom line is we as individuals, um, we're the ones that go shopping and we're the ones that buy the food and waste the food more so than virtually anywhere, all right? So if we, could, if we could mitigate stuff at a consumer level, that would be huge. And what I like to say simply is eat with intention. That no, make that choice consciously that, yeah, I'm going to buy less of this even though it's on sale. Why? Because it's all I can use. It's all my family can use. Or I'm going to buy it and I'm going to freeze half of it so I can access it later. Um, the idea of just going into a, you know, a big box store and buying some massive flat of peaches because it's there and then seeing half of them rot on the counter, it's just, it, it's just where does it get you? you know, it, it doesn't get anyone anywhere because it's much worse to be wasting it than to be saving the money. And so I really feel whether it's around people 
eating less protein, uh, less animal protein and, and being more plant-based, whether it's about food waste in general, is just, you know, asking yourself, checking in with yourself is like, when am I going to eat this? How am I going to eat this? You know, am I, oh, am I filling up the refrigerator and then going on a week-long vacation? It's a very satisfying thing to fill up a market basket or fill up your bag with the farmer's market. But I think it's also really important to understand what part of food waste do you personally play into and what changes can you make? Can you start composting? Can you, again, start buying organics instead of conventional? There's a whole bunch of ways that we as individuals can really um, cumulatively add to the um, the differences and the positive um, positive growth of solutions. And I think we just have to take the responsibility to do so and not pass it on to some government law or, you know, someone else to handle. It's up to us. I think that's great. And personal responsibility is such a big part of this. I think that's that's great that you mentioned that. So, Rick, what's next for you in Food Forward? Any expansion plans beyond California at this point? Um, not at the moment. Right now, because of where we sit, which is more the, 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 you know, the bullseye, where more produce flows through than any spot on the continent, um, it's really, we need to grow deeper roots here, build more relationships. Um, we expanded our warehouse by double last year and created this thing called the Sprout on the backside of the warehouse. That is specifically aimed at bringing um, mixed loads of produce to smaller and mid-sized agencies that can't come in the front side with big trucks. And that is being dialed in. That was a COVID uh, creation. And uh, we decided to keep it, make it permanent. So we're working on, on getting all of the, um, you know, the pieces on that. But the big one is this, is we scaled last year like never expected and never before and hopefully never again. Uh, but it was, it was an imperative and the organization took a new place on the landscape of fighting hunger and food waste. And we want to stay there. For us to stay there, we have to do a few things. We have to continue with our fundraising. But internally, we need to grow into that skin that we've now laid out for ourselves. We have all the muscles, we have all the players, but there are systems. It's like adding another finance person. It's adding someone else in development. It's adding more um, men and women at the warehouse. It's um, you know growing into a new place so that we can own and inhabit what we were gifted with last year. And so that, that is kind of what's on the docket for 20, 20, uh, 2022. I have no doubt there's an opportunity to get more produce, but, you know, catching our breath after honestly 12 years of double digit growth uh, is extraordinary and really important. You know, if you, if you want to just look at the scale is in our whole first year of backyard harvesting, which was all we did in year one of food forward in 2009, we recovered a hundred thousand pounds of, mixed citrus and some other backyard fruit, but 100,000 pounds, hand-picked, not bad. Today, on a slow day, we do 250,000 pounds. Wow. So if you look at that scaling, there's a whole lot of systems. There's things from HR, there's, there's DEI work, there's all kinds of stuff that we need to kind of bring up to the level of our productivity. 
and again grow into that place so that we can be here in five, eight, 12 years. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's exciting because we have an amazing team. We've got such talent from whether it's produce or it's business school or it's students coming out of university programs on food and the environment. I always feel very, very proud to say, in my opinion, we have kind of the Ivy League of nonprofit here at Food Forward. Uh, and there's actually some positions open for anyone that's listening and lives in Southern California and is passionate about this work. We've got some positions actually from a leadership level um, all the way to, um, you know, interns and entry level work. And, um, you know, also if folks are interested in donating to us or partnering with us from a financial level, you know, go to foodforward.org and you can read up more and reach out to us through the website and happy to, you know, uh, entertain those conversations too because um, we really do believe that our funders uh, and our, our corporate partners are vital in our continuation of, of the uh, important work we do. Oh, they are vital, and I'm glad you shared that um, because I'm sure people will want to get in touch. And I'm just so happy that you've shared your amazing story of growth and scaling and how you found a silver lining in the pandemic to help so many more people. So congrats on the work that you're doing and continue to do. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, as I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and, um, and for the uh, podcast you do and how you kind of bring all these different angles to, you know, the idea of waste where there really is so much to be discovered in what is otherwise discarded. Absolutely, right? There's value there. And as long as we see it and we find places for it, um, it will be a resource and not just waste, like you said. Great. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, have a great day. Thank you for listening. It would mean the world if you would take a moment to rate or review this podcast. And if you share it with us on one of our social networks, we are giving out some fun, nothing wasted podcast swag. So just tag us and see what you get. Thanks so much.